You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Isaiah chapter 11, 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. I love how the fruit seems to be a person, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall be upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath or spirit of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would have expectant hearts as we hear your word this morning. In your name, amen. So we are going to be going through very intentionally the liturgical cycle of the year this year. And the question is for... We, we know that liturgical churches do this all the time. They celebrate the seasons of the year. As evangelical Pentecostals, the question is, why do we want to do this? And from an evangelical standpoint, we have a chance to learn with Jesus through the cycle of his life the exact same way that the disciples did when they were walking with him in real time and space. So what the disciples experienced from meeting him when they were casting their nets to hearing about his birth to witnessing his crucifixion to witnessing his parables and learning from him to the point where Jesus is saying to them, to you I have given the keys of heaven to understand great mysteries. This is our chance to learn through the life of Jesus Christ the exact way the disciples did when they were with him. As Pentecostals, it's very simple And it's very similar, but this is our chance to encounter the presence of Christ the way that the disciples did when they were with him. It's one thing to learn something. It's another thing to have a full-on encounter with the thing that you learned. Amen? It's one thing if you get information, but if you experience that information as a person running into your heart, running into your life, falling on your body, and, and manifesting himself to you as the Spirit does with Jesus all the time. We have to not just learn about him, but we have to encounter him. And so we need the liturgical cycle so we can walk with him. We need that evangelical component so we can learn from him. But we need that Pentecostal component so we can experience and encounter the thing that we're walking with 
and the thing that we're learning. And so that's why we go through the liturgical calendar every year. It's not that we need to to kind of conjure up some kind of life of Christ that we don't have. It's just a way of getting ourselves to Galilee and experiencing year after year after year the return of Christ to our lives and walking with him the way the disciples did. We are suspended between two advents. The first advent are all the prophecies that a Messiah needs to come because the world is falling apart. The final advent is going to be the return of that Messiah when he brings his fullness to bear on the earth. Not escaping us to heaven, but bringing heaven to bear on the earth we're living in now. And to hold up those two advents, we have the advent that happens every single week, every time you get together, every time two or more are gathered, Jesus says, there I am in your, every time we gather in the name of Jesus, he advents, he shows up. There's a coming of Christ when we experience the table, when we hear the sermon, when we sing the songs, when we gather, when we fellowship, when we hang out and watch the giants lose. Somehow Jesus shows up in all of these things. By the way, pray for Eli Manning. Why are they doing this to him? Why are they playing him against the Eagles? Just end it. Just end it, please, God. Anyway, I will get distracted. I'm waiting for the advent of a good team to show up. One of these days would be nice, but I digress. We're suspended between these two advents. Stanley Harawas said it this way, Advent is the waiting made possible by a hope made real. So over here, the prophets prophesy there's going to be a Messiah, and he's going to bring full justice to bear. And then Jesus leaves, and before he leaves, the disciples say to him in Acts chapter 1, somewhere around verse 12, they say, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So the disciples are hearing Isaiah, seeing Jesus raised from the dead and saying, okay, this is clearly what Isaiah was prophesying for. Is this the time that all the nations are going to flock to Jerusalem? And Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you my power so that you can be my witnesses until I return again. And so the, the first advent is he's coming. The second, the third advent is he's returning. And now we're waiting for his return, but much like a pregnancy... We have a hope, a waiting made possible by a hope made real. Anthony and Madeline are waiting for something, but it's been made real. It's, it's, it's in her. It's growing. It's expanding her. It's kicking. It, it needs nutrients. It's real, and it's coming. It's actually happened, but a fullness of it is on its way. That's where we're at right now. Jesus has happened. The church is pregnant with him. We're constantly in labor with him. We're delivering him to the world. This is why Paul says to the Galatians, my children in whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ be formed in you. So this is what's always happening, and we're awaiting that final rush, that final water to break when Jesus actually comes back and, and justice gushes down like the streams. I got all these metaphors just pouring out of me right now. Victor Anderson, a professor of African-American studies at Vanderbilt College, says this. We can cry over loss, but not as if the loss is everything. We can cry over loss, but not as if the loss is everything. And what I love about that quote is this. For those 
who are the recipients of injustice. For those of you sitting here right now who know and can tell stories from this past week of how broken the world is, he's saying, weep for the loss you've encountered, but don't weep as if the loss is everything because Jesus is coming. So weep, but don't weep as if the loss you're weeping over is final. But for those of us who are sitting in the seats and we can only theorize about how broken the world is, but we haven't ultimately experienced how broken the world is, we need to learn to weep. We need to learn to weep over something that may not be happening in our lives, but is happening in somebody else's life. So for those who are in the brokenness, victims of the brokenness, he's saying, you're already weeping, but don't weep like there's a period at the end of that weeping. Weep like there's a comma at the end of it. Because that sentence isn't over. And for those of you who haven't experienced the brokenness, just somehow this week, try to just let a tear come down if you possibly can. Because realize if your life is blessed, somebody else's isn't. And if you're okay that your life is blessed, I believe it was King Hezekiah, some, somebody in the church who's memorized your whole Bible, correct me if I'm wrong. He was given that prophecy that said, in your lifetime, things will be okay, but for your children, it's going to fall apart. And he actually says, well, thank God it's going to be okay in my lifetime. That's terrible. Just because it's good for you, it's terrible for somebody else. So if it's terrible for you, weep. But don't weep like it's a finality. Weep like there's hope, like those tears are actually planting something. And if it's okay for you, learn to weep at all because somebody else is. That's Advent. That's what Advent is. God with us, but also God returning to us. And what does it say? And I feel, I, I feel a sense of the prophetic from the minute I walked in here this morning. This whole text starts by saying, a shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse. A shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse. When you look up that word stump in the Hebrew, it means a tree that has been felled, cut down, no more to grow. And it's saying that a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. This is the character of God in a very short sentence. Stumps, generally speaking, don't grow back. And if they do, do stumps grow back, Steve? They do. You should have said no. There's a tree that has been cut down. And they're saying, out of this tree that's been cut down, something's going to grow that's going to be bigger and better than the tree that was cut down. And this is what we have to know about the character of God. His goodness seems to only want to show up in your impossibility. We do a lot of good things thinking that we can create some kind of positive, really workable soil, and then God's goodness will come out of that. He's always coming out of the thing that's been cut down. So find the place in your life, and I'm, I'm talking to more than one person, find the place in your life where nothing has grown for a very long time. That's the first place to look for signs of Christ. He always comes from the stump. Not the tree that's grown, but it's dying. Not the tree that's grown, but it's bare. He comes from the tree that's been cut down. What has been cut down in your life, your devotional life needs to go there. Your prayer life needs to go there. Your hope needs to go there. It's not time to look for a tree that's looking a little better. It's time to go to those places that have seemed literally broken and impossible. And there is where the shoot and the root will begin to show. It's the place of impossibility because if God is going to restore everything, he needs to restore the impossible. 
And if he doesn't restore the impossible, then what's the point of our hope? This is why in last week's text, and I didn't get into it, the, the combination of gospel text saying, as in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and playing and marrying and being given in marriage. And then the Thessalonians text said that we need to put on the armor of light. And when you look at both of those texts together, what you have is we need to put on armor to guard ourselves against satisfaction and blessing. We need armor that looks past our current temporal blessings. Because to the extent that we have become comfortable is the extent that we have put off the return of Christ to something ethereal, something academic, something mystical that we don't need to worry about. And we say things like, you know what? Only he can know. We'll let God take care of that. We'll just live. And the reason why we do that is because we're too comfortable. Because people and cultures and places in this country, in the world, it is so war-torn, it is so broken, there's so much injustice, that all they have left is the hope that Jesus is coming back. So we need to guard against our comfort. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion is a consistent cry of the prophets. You're ruining Christmas, Pastor. I'm really not, actually. I like having these fake conversations with myself. We've heard constantly, we need to recover the true meaning of Christmas. Make sure you don't lose the true meaning of Christmas. Here's the thing. The meaning of Christmas is not ours to define. Advent is teaching us that when Christmas comes, Christmas is going to show us the true meaning of us. Please hear what I just said. Christmas is coming to show us us the true meaning of ourselves. We're not supposed to find the true meaning of Christmas. Christmas is finding the true meaning of you. And Advent prepares us for this because in Advent, we don't celebrate the birth of Christ. We don't pretend that Jesus was never born. We await a returning Messiah so that when we see this baby in a manger, we know that that child is the slain yet risen present yet returning, lion yet lamb, much needed savior who decides to show up like a needy baby. And the question is with all of that power and all of that influence, he shows up as somebody in need. The question is, how do you show up? How do we show up? If we had all the power and influence that Jesus had, I'll tell you right now, some people in my life would die if I had the power that Jesus had. The minute there would be, I would just, he would never give me that much power because there'd be nobody left. There'd be nobody left on earth but me, obviously. Jesus has all the power and he comes as somebody in need. And showing up needy is the last thing we want, especially in the presence of our enemies. Especially in the presence of our enemies, he shows up needy. How are we showing up? Christmas needs to redefine how we show up to people. Coworkers, friends, the vindictive ones. Do we show up like we got this, like we're going to better you, like I'm going to make the next comment and you're not going to have anything to say? Like you've been talking smack about, like we're gonna, I'm going to destroy a Christmas carol in a minute. Let me get to it. We're going to have a lot of fun. Everybody know the song Last Christmas? I gave you my heart the very next day. We're going to tear that up in a second. It's the dumbest song I've ever heard in my entire life. No one should ever sing it, but give me me a second to get there. I need to create the necessary tension to get there. 
when this Messiah comes, he's not going to judge. Just try to imagine this with me, please, because this is no part of my personality even gets this. He's not going to judge by what he sees or hears. Can you imagine not assessing somebody based on what you see or hear? It's all we do. People are great if they were nice to us today, and they're horrible if they were not nice to us five seconds later. Thank you, Stuart. I try to be really nice to you. (laughs) He doesn't, I almost tripped over that. He doesn't, (laughs) he doesn't judge based on what he sees or hears. How does he judge? He judges based on righteousness. And because we're talking about Jesus, he is righteousness. So Jesus sees all of these things going on and he doesn't judge us based on what's going on. He judges us based on his father. He judges us based on un- conditional love. How many know that sin is a condition? If sin is a condition and his love is unconditional, then he doesn't judge by what he sees or hears. Because all he sees and hears is sin. He doesn't judge on that. He judges on himself. Thank you for saying thank you. We need to say thank you a lot a bit when we hear stuff like that. I've done nothing good enough that if Jesus judged what I did, even at my best, he wouldn't send me right to hell. (laughs) He doesn't judge based on what he sees. He doesn't judge based on what he hears. He judges based on his self. And every time he judges us based on his self, his self is everything we couldn't be. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. The predator and the prey will coexist together. We're going to get to this in a minute, but notice he doesn't eliminate the predator. He changes the predator. He doesn't eliminate the lion. He changes the lion so it lies down with the lamb. He doesn't eliminate the snake. He changes the snake so it stops deceiving. Adam and Eve were his children, and they got bit by a snake. And Isaiah is saying, that's not going to happen ever again. The young child will be able to put his hand over the hole of the snake, and it won't bite them this time. The uh, the, the bear and the cow, he doesn't eliminate bears. He changes them. He removes prey by changing the predator. Everyone here, we've been prey to something. We're getting ready to destroy last Christmas right now. I've longed for this part of the sermon. We've all been prey. We've been preyed on. We've been tore up. We've been taken advantage of by a system, by a person, by a friend, by a boss, by a spouse, something. Every one of us. And what happens is when we want resolution now, just take something very simple because it's never just the big things. Somebody is just nasty with you at work. They're obnoxious. They're conceited. They don't work nearly as hard as you do. They start, you know, something good starts to happen with them at the job. And all you want in your entire life, for, you would give everything in your life for everybody just to know the fake that this person really is. I just, I need to know that they know that I know that they are the way they really are that nobody else knows about. That's what we want so bad in life. What happens is when we want resolve, when we've been preyed on and we want resolve now and we don't want to wait for it, we become predator right away. 
when we can't wait, when we have to make sure, and as Christians, we never want vengeance. We never want to end the person. We just want them to know that we know what they're really doing in a way that will give us a little bit of leverage over them for the rest of their life. We don't want everybody to know. We just want them to know that we know so we could kind of have that card all the time. These are just the little things. When we need resolve now, when you, when you are wronged and you have to talk to everybody about it right away, when something unfair happens and you need to kind of ask the church to pray for you in a way that's really gossiping about the thing that happened, when that happens and we can't wait, we become the predator. The prey easily becomes predator when the prey cannot wait for God to turn the predator around. And what happens is we end up wanting to go after the person and not the evil that's holding sway over the person. The Pharisees throw a man who's demon-possessed down at the feet of Jesus in the temple, and they say, this man has brought evil into the temple. What are you going to do? And Jesus puts his hand on him and says, the man is staying in the temple, but the evil is going. Jesus has a way of judging the evil in you, but keeping you intact. We go after the person, and when we go after the person, we actually honor the evil. So, Ian, play the clip. This year. Ugh. Mm, stop it. Let's, let's, uh, let's just analyze this for a second. First off, just dating tip from Pastor Bill. This has nothing to do with the sermon. If last year you gave your whole heart to somebody, and the very next day they gave it away, try not to trust yourself enough the following year to think that you know how to pick people. It's not like last year I gave you my heart and seven years later you gave it away. Obviously, it's wrong. Life happens. But if you gave your full self to somebody and the next day they gave it to somebody else, next year don't try to date well without at least having some kind of communal conversation with your friends and probably a pastor and a therapist. Like, I'm just saying, just be easy there. But let's, let's look at what happens here. I'm going to need some volunteers, and it's going to get weird. This is all just by way of analogy. So, Madeline, why don't you stand up for a second? And Jacqueline, you stand up for a second. I'm going to be the person who wrote the song. So, last Christmas, I gave you my heart. We had this thing going for 24 hours. It was a fantastic relationship. Obviously, we're both making very discerning decisions here. The very next day, you gave it away. You cheat on me with Anthony. <laughs> Terrible. So, here's what I'm doing. This year... To save me from tears, I'm going to give it to somebody special. Question number one, why didn't you give it to somebody special the first year? <laughs> Last year, I gave it to you. This year, I'm going to give it to somebody special. Help me, Jesus. We need to stop singing this song. Give it to somebody special the first time. How do you know if they're special? Wait. But I digress. I've rehearsed this in the shower like so many times. 
I give you my heart to save me from tears, not because I like you, (laughs) because I don't want to cry anymore. So I'm going to save myself from tears because of what you did to me. By giving my heart to you, I'm going to call you special, but really you're the pawn that is helping me save myself from tears and getting back at you because the song is not about her. The whole song is still being sung to you because I want you at the next Christmas party to see me with somebody better. So I gave my heart to you and I became the prey because you cheated on me with him. I turn around now and now I'm using you to get back at you. Now I've become the predator and she's the prey. You may be seated, ladies. If this is your first time here and you're not walking with the Lord, we're going to take a... This is what we do. Lions tear up lambs, and then lambs turn into lions. Because we want to take vengeance now, we don't want to wait. And the prey becomes the predator very fast. And Isaiah says, he tells us, that this person that is coming is going to kill the wicked. Let's, let's look at this. Out of the stump of Jesse, this person comes. Well, what is the stump of Jesse? The stump of Jesse is the house and lineage of King David. This house and lineage of King David, that's what the stump of Jesse is. Out of the house of David is going to come someone who's different than David. Who exercises power differently than David. But God wants you to know that the Messiah, the one who's better than David, is coming from the line of David because the Spirit wants us to see the difference between Jesus and David. If it came from the stump of Abraham, they look very similar. We want David, hear me. Pray. If you've ever been prey in your life, if you've been preyed on by a predator, you want Jesus to be like David because David fought so much his hand stuck to his sword. He couldn't build a temple because he had shed too much blood. We want a Jesus like David, and God is saying, I'm going to raise up a Messiah from the stump of Jesse, from the house of David, and we're saying yes. And he's saying, but he's not going to kill people the way that David killed people. So what does this mean? David executed his power as predator. From the time he was a boy, the seed of his predation, his predatory living, the seed of it is found the minute he faces off against Goliath. Here's a predator preying on Israel. And what does David do? He goes out to him and he says, you're defying the ranks of the Lord. And David says to Goliath, today I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. The imagery of predator is at its fullest extent. David is saying, I'm going to prey on you so that the predators will actually come and eat your flesh. 
the vultures, the beasts will come and eat your carcass off the ground. But look at what David says. Here's the clue. And maybe when I say this, you'll start to see where Jesus is different. David says to Goliath, I'm going to feed your flesh to predators. Jesus comes and says, this is my flesh given for you. I'm not going to feed your carcasses. I'm going to let you feed on mine. So watch this. He will kill the wicked. When I hear that phrase, I close my eyes. I sit back in my chair and I close my eyes and I say, okay, what does this, what do I think this looks like? I'm going to kill the wicked. And what I see is just the only thing I can see when I hear the word kill because I haven't seen heaven yet. So when I hear kill, all I see are images of what we've seen on TV. In our own city streets, people lying down, bleeding and dead. I'm going to kill the wicked, and I just see this massacre of the wicked with maybe the righteous somehow, for some odd reason, cheering or whatever. That's the literal view of what it looks like to kill. But here's the thing. He doesn't say, I'm going to kill the wicked with the sword from my thigh, with the bow in my hand. He says, I'm going to kill the wicked with the breath of my mouth. So the weapon that he's using is not the weapon that causes the scene that I see when I close my eyes and I look at the wicked who are dead. When I close my eyes and I hear, I'll kill, I hear kill the wicked, I see people that have been murdered or cut down by something more violent and more powerful than them. Guns, knives, swords, grenades, bombs, these kinds of things. But it says that the weapon he's going to use is the ruach, the spirit that comes from his mouth. Well, we got that on Acts chapter 2. It says in the resurrection in John 20, he breathed on them and said, receive the spirit. That's what Isaiah is talking about. So what does kill the wicked with the Holy Spirit look like? The wicked are obviously the lion. The wicked are obviously the cobra. The wicked are obviously the bear. In that analogy of the lion will lie down with the lamb, the child will hold the cobra, the, the bear will graze with the cow. He doesn't kill the wicked themselves. He kills what's wicked in them and changes them into something they weren't before. I'm going to kill the lion so that it will graze with the lamb, not so that it won't exist. Because in Revelation, when John turns around, he hears the voice of a lion, and he turns and he sees a lamb. Jesus, in his own physical body, is the lion lying down with the lamb. His person is lion and lamb meeting together. It's like the Spirit said to Stephanie, to sing at the darkness, but don't sing at it like you hate it. Sing at it like the breath of your mouth is going to change it. Sing at the people in your life that tear other people apart, not in a way that eliminates them, but changes them. 
God is not in the business of eliminating people. He's in the business of changing in us what causes us to not receive him in the first place. And he does it by the word of his mouth. His judgment is not going to eliminate people. It's going to change people and remove from them the part of them that wasn't accepting him in the first place. Watch this. Better Christmas Carol. Little town of Bethlehem. One of the final clauses, one of the final verses says, watch this. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Look at this. The hopes and fears. We got a scholar in the house. The hopes and fears, predator and prey, are met in thee tonight. One doesn't win. They meet in him. And they both become different. The fear of death becomes the fear of the Lord when it lays down next to hope. Our hopes and fears of all the years, this speaks to Advent in its fullest extent, not the hopes and fears just of my now, but the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, are held in thee tonight. So think of the paradoxes of your own life. Where are you, predator, and where are you, prey? Who have you preyed on? And I'm not talking about the Our Father. (laughs) Who have you torn apart? Who have you, where have you moved your life in such a way that you were moving your life like chess pieces on a board to 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 get to the checkmate? To get the most optimal conditions for you? And maybe more than that, where haven't we lent ourselves to people's lives? And not realize, like we think, I pray on you by me being with you and what I do wrong to you. But part of the way that we pray on each other is by never hanging out in the first place. Part of the way that we pray on the world is by getting so wrapped up in our own personal routine that we don't have time for the world we're in. It's going to turn out, when we see that, that we were the vultures. Where have we been preyed on? And now almost use our wounds to not have to reach out and touch somebody else's life anymore. Jesus' famous phrase, every time, and you've heard me say this, every time he's about to heal somebody, he says, do you want me to heal you? And we think, of course I do, but really no. Because Jesus says, the minute I heal you, you can't lean on the things you lean on now to not do the things that you have to do. Are you sure you want me to heal those blind eyes because now you got to get a job. Are you sure you want me to heal that broken heart because you might need to get into another relationship? You might have to trust again. You might have to roll the dice again. You, you, You need to think right now where your predator and where your prey because here's what Advent is. Advent is the return of God to judge the earth and the prophets scream at the people of God, don't think that this day is going to be amazing. It's also going to be terrible because we're going to see where we've been predator. So the church gives us this season of Advent to say now, where am I predator? What do I need to lay down? Where am I fighting with the, with the violent tools of the world and not the spirit of God from my mouth? 
We need to be like the spies that went into the promised land and brought back fruit into the wilderness. Right now, the whole world is in a wilderness state. We've been delivered, but we're waiting for a return. Does that make sense? Jesus has delivered us from Egypt, but we're waiting for him to come back. That means we're in the wilderness. And the spies went from the wilderness into the promised land and brought back fruit. They were taking, they were scoping out the promised land and they were bringing back fruit from the future into the wilderness. Jesus is the future that we're waiting for. So every time we meet him at his table, every time we hear a sermon, every time you pray, every time you open a devotional, every time you devote yourself to him, you're spying out the promised land. And every time you go into the world after doing that, you're bringing fruit from heaven to bear on the earth. And what does that fruit look like? It looks like not being vindictive, not being vengeful, not trying to get back at people, but lying down because Jesus destroyed predators by becoming prey himself. He destroyed predation by becoming prey himself. Who wants to really fight with those weapons? None of us. But the Holy Spirit is how we'll learn to fight with those weapons. In our gospel text for today, But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, this is John, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Every time we repent, this is how we grow the fruit of the Spirit in our life. When we repent, but I was the one who was hurt. Yeah, repent for wanting to hurt back. Repent for the little slights and the little digs. And like we, we, think of, we think of movies. Like I've never really gotten back at somebody. Repent of the thoughts of how tasty vengeance would be. We daydream on what it would be like to get back at the person. And when I'm daydreaming about what it would be like to get back at you, I'm not daydreaming about how much God loves you. My mind, I'm spending what few hours of thought I have left on this earth. I'm spending it on vengeful thoughts, not spending it on heavenly ones. I'm setting my mind on things of the earth, not on things above. All, if we took all the years we're all going to live in this room and put them all together, we don't have a lot of time. How do we spend our thoughts? If our thoughts are money, how are we spending the last bit of money we have left? Forget about, well, I didn't say anything. You did in your heart. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What are we repenting over? Simple. We're repenting over waging war in the economy of predator. He trampled down death by death. He didn't trample down death by tanks. He didn't trample down death by guns. If God, even in the end, kills people, the way that we've killed people, then that means that in God's very being exists the violence he's trying to eradicate, and that means that violence will always be possible. If it's in God, it's possible for us. He will destroy wicked in a way that we've never seen or known something to be destroyed before. And the clue is, Jesus, we've put an evil man in the temple. What are you going to do? I'm going to judge, kill, and destroy the evil in him, and what will be left is a person who can worship me. If that's how he's going to judge your enemies, how should you be thinking about them right now?
Let's stand to our feet. We get ready to come to the table. And when we get to the basket, we're going to see a lamb that's been torn up. We're going to see a cup of blood that Jesus himself said is spilled. And what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? He says, is not the cup that we bless a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? He doesn't say it's a metaphor. He says it is. So when we come to this table, we're coming to the Good Friday broken body of Jesus. The the root and the shoot that is better than David. David won all his battles. Jesus lost his only one, it looked like. But we realize at the table when we receive Christ like he commanded us to, like Paul says is happening, we come to the lamb that's been torn up and we leave ourselves as people who the world will say they look to have been slain. Like John saw the lamb in in Revelation. I saw a lamb that appeared to have been slain but was standing alive. We come to the table as prey. We leave as people who have been put back together, and we never needed to pick up a weapon to do it. We come to a meal to do it. How does he restore? How does he judge his enemies? He prepares a table in the midst of them. He invites them over. He sits with them, and he says, this is my body, broken for you. And I can hear Matthew saying, no, no, no. They denied you. They betrayed you. They doubted you. They broke your bodies. Your body's broken because of them. And Jesus saying, nope. My body was always going to be broken for you. If you didn't do it, it would have happened a different way. But my body was always going to be broken for you. We come to the table as prey. And we also come to the table as the predators who did this to Jesus. And we leave as lion and lamb lying down together. Enemies restored and healed because somebody said, sit down and eat with me. That's the artillery of the kingdom of God. So onward Christian soldiers we are, but we need to redefine what onward Christian and soldier looks like. It looks like people who are ambushing the enemy by having them over to eat. Lord Jesus... It was on the night when you were betrayed that you took up this meal and you held up the bread and broke it and gave thanks and you held up the cup and you gave thanks and you said, this is my body broken for you and this is my blood spilled for you. As often as you come to this meal, come to it remembering me, remembering what I've done, remembering what I'm doing and remembering what I will do. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fall on this meal and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus so that we can fulfill what Paul said and participate in your body and blood. 
and fall on all the broken pieces of bread in this room standing here, Father God, myself included. Fall on all these broken pieces of bread and put us back together into one loaf again that we may serve you in unity, constancy, and peace and at the last day rejoice at your coming. We don't want to be afraid of it. We want to rejoice in it. And so God, forgive us for where we've been vengeful. Forgive us for where we want to get back at people. Forgive us for where we've been so comfortable that we have stopped pursuing the world. Forgive us for all of the time our comfort takes up. Forgive us for all the time maintaining our blessings takes up. Forgive us for pursuing you with the real agenda to hold our blessings in place. Forgive us for being like the rich young ruler who want to obey but not want to part with our comfort. Give us chances this week to part with our worldly goods in the name of turning enemy into friend. Lord Jesus, show us who our enemies are so that we'll know who to bless this week. In your name we pray. Amen. The ushers will release you from the back to the front. You're all welcome to come to the table this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.